who we refer to as the greatest, uh, the greatest pastor in the Old Testament. And uh, it's a prophet by the name of Elisha. And every time I preach on Elijah and Elisha, you know, when you get in the heat of the moment, sometimes you get their names mixed up. But uh, Elijah, we have already, uh, we've done a series of messages on the prophet Elijah uh, leading up to our revival. I think I did three messages uh, prior to the revival and one maybe after. Uh, but uh, we, we are dealing now with and looking at the life of his predecessor and the one that, that followed him and took his place, and that's the great prophet Elisha. Elisha, who had twice as many miracles as Elijah had in his ministry. And uh, so I'm going to want to deal with a couple of those miracles tonight and s talk to you about some things about this man of God. Now there's, I think it was 16 miracles that Elisha did. So we're probably not going to cover them all in this series, but we're going to pull out some important ones and deal with because there's just some, some great things that happen. We, if you want to read some exciting stuff, read Second Kings and, and the, the study the life of this great prophet of God, Elisha. Amen. And you know what? The same God that was the God of Elijah and the God of Elisha is the same God that you and I serve tonight. Amen. Amen. He's still here. He's still alive and he's still the same. So look with me in 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse number 4 for our text tonight. And then we'll be going to 2 Kings 6 and back to 2 Kings 2. We'll just be jumping around a little bit and uh, see what the Lord has for us tonight. 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse number 4 uh, says this. Then the king... Then the king talked with Gehazi, the king of Israel, talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. And remember, I, I, and I, I made mention of this, that that was the, the thing, that was the, the name that Elisha was referred to as the man of God. What a title to have. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things that Elisha has done. Tell me, please, all the great things that Elisha has done. The king of Israel wanted to hear about Elisha. He wanted to hear about Elisha's life. He wanted to hear about the great things that this great king, uh, this great prophet had done. And uh, I would probably have to say tonight in talking about and thinking about uh, Elisha that, that there were more thrilling and more exciting incidents in the life and the ministry of Elisha than probably any other character that I can think about in the Old Testament. And that's saying something because there was a lot of exciting things that happened in the life of Joshua and Moses and so many um, of those Old Testament characters and those, those Old Testament men of God and women of God. So many great things took place in their life. But there was, there was just so many great miracles, exciting things that took place in the ministry of Elisha that, that just are a blessing to us today. Now, as I said, he's known throughout, throughout the book of 2 Kings, throughout the Word of God, Elisha is known as the man of God. He was called by God and ordained by God to be um, a servant of 
the Lord, but also a servant of the prophet Elijah. And he was called to take the place. This was the calling of God that the Lord had placed upon Elisha. He was to take the place of Elijah. That was some pretty big shoes to fill, wouldn't you say so? I mean, the Lord is putting the mantle of Elijah upon this plowboy, and that's what Elisha was. He was a farm boy, amen? He, he, wasn't, he wasn't, you know, he, wasn't, he didn't come from a palace somewhere. He didn't come from, um, from wealth or riches. His father owned uh, a farm of some sort, and, uh, and that's where he received his call from. We talked about that last week. When God called him and Elijah came to visit the farm of Shaphat, the father of Elisha, uh, what was Elisha doing? He was behind 12 yoke of oxen and he was just going about his ordinary daily routine of working the fields and plowing. But there was a, that, but that day when, when Elijah showed up uh, by the, by the, by the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit uh, to place his mantle and his calling upon Elisha, it was a day that changed Elisha's life forever. And so Elijah comes there on the farm to this old plowboy that God had spoken to him about. God told him to go there and anoint him to be a prophet in his place. And he throws the prophetic mantle on him and the call of God, the ordination of God is given to him. He receives it there while he's plowing. And when he received that call from God, remember what he did? He said, I'm going to go kiss my mom and dad goodbye. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to tell them goodbye. And, and, and he, he did did that. Elijah gave him the leave to go do that. He went and kissed mom and dad goodbye and said, Dad, you know, I'm not, not going to be plowing in your fields no more. God has called me to something else and to a, to a different area of ministry. And, and so he, he leaves behind his old life. He takes, that, uh, he takes that, that yoke of oxen, slaughters them for a sacrifice, burns them with the plow, with the farming instrument, and so remember we talked about that last week. What is he doing? He's making a full commitment, a total commitment to the Lord. He's, say, he's burning all his bridges behind him. And he's saying this. He's saying this. He's saying, I'm, there's no turning back. I'm following the Lord. I'm following the man of God, Elijah. I'm following this ministry that God has laid upon my heart. And, and, and God's called me to and there's nothing to go back to. Amen? I'm going to tell something, folks. There's nothing. There's nothing to go back to. Amen. There's nothing. To, I've gone too far. I've gone too far to look back. I've gone too far to turn back. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm going on for Jesus. I, you know, the Bible says that, that, that a person that Jesus said, that an individual that would put their hands to the plow and look back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. Isn't that what it says? And what he's saying is there's nothing you've left back there that's worth going back to. You just need to focus on Jesus, look to the author and the finisher of our faith, and continue. 
continue on with the Lord. Amen. That's 100% consecration, dedication, devotion to the Lord. And that is what Elisha had. He was, he was, giving, a one, he was giving his all. He was giving a 100% devotion to, to the Lord and to Elijah. And that was a total commitment. He wasn't just going to step out here and say, well, I'll try this for a couple of weeks. And if, it's, if it works out okay, then fine. But, but if not, I'm going back to my plowing. He wasn't leaving no plowing to go back to. Amen? He's made that commitment. No matter what comes, no matter what goes, no matter whether there's high water, low water, whatever trials, whatever he has to face, whatever devils, whatever enemies, he's made up his mind. I'm going on. I'm not going to turn back. That's what we've got to have tonight. Amen? That's what we've got to have tonight. Praise God. So Elisha followed Elijah, became the servant of Elijah. The Bible referred to him as the one that poured water on the hands of Elijah. So he was his servant. He was faithful to him. We talked about that last week, how that, you know, some people want to start out in ministry at the top. Amen. But that's not how it works. You start out at the bottom, and then as you're faithful, God promotes you. Amen. When we're faithful over the little things and over the least and over the few things, then God will promote us and make us uh, ruler over many things. And that's what the Bible says. But he followed Elijah with a determination to have a double portion. That was the thing that he wanted, to be faithful to the ministry of Elijah, but to have a double portion of the spirit that was on Elijah. And he, 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 he stuck to him, he stuck to him like glue, so to speak, didn't he? And we talked about that in, in uh, when we preached about that double portion um, a few weeks back, but how that there was nothing, you know, Elijah tried to get rid of him a few times. And he said, I'm going, you know, I'm going to go to, to Bethel, you stay here. I'm going to Jordan, you stay here. I'm going to Jericho, you stay here. And wherever Elijah tried to get, whenever he tried to get Elisha to stay uh, put in a certain place, um, he said, no, I'm, I'm going where you're going. I'm sticking with you. Amen. I, I'm cleaving to you because he had a desire for a double portion of the spirit and the anointing and the power that was upon the life of the prophet Elijah. And he received that double portion. And last week we talked about that. He got that double portion. He picked up the mantle of Elijah, goes back over to the Jordan River, smokes the Jordan River just the same way way Elijah did and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And that w the Jordan River did what? It parted this way and that. And he walked across on dry ground. So it was evident that the same spirit and the same anointing that was upon Elijah was now resting upon Elisha. He had received a double portion and he carried on Elijah's ministry, listen, with the same power, with the same anointing, 
anointing and with the same message that Elijah had. Remember last week we kind of closed it out with this that, that, that Elisha didn't seek something new. He didn't try to start something different. He didn't say, well, Elijah did it this way, but I'm going to do it the new way. Boy, I hear a lot of that. I hear a lot of that nowadays, you know. Well, our parents didn't do it this way. And I've, I've been to churches and saw the advertisements. Well, you know, we have church like you've never, like you've never experienced before. We're doing church a new way. You know what? To each his own. They can do what they want to, but I'm going to tell you what, what my ancestors had and what, what Peter had and James and John and Paul, and what they had is good enough for you and I today. Amen. Hallelujah. What my grandma had, my grandpa had, my mom, dad, and aunts and uncles, the same anointing and the same power and the same gospel message that they had, I believe will just work for me and you today, don't you? So he, he, he carries on that ministry with the same anointing and the same power and the same message that Elijah had. He's not changing anything. He's, he's going in the, in the power of Elijah with that same anointing, that same calling. And so he begins his ministry. And when you study the miracles of Elisha, um, most of the miracles, most of the miracles of Elisha were miracles of helpfulness and blessing in, in the everyday walk of life. God used him in his ministry to bless and to help others. And, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of miracles that are different than that, but, but for the most part, his ministry was helping others. That's why, number one, he's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in the, in the way that the miracles of his life ministered to people and blessed them and helped them in need. And he's a type also of a, of, as I said, of a great pastor or shepherd because he was there to minister to the needs of the people. Amen. And so when we look at, at some of these great miracles, miracles of this man of God, then we, we, we see some things and we, we can glean some things and we can learn some things and we can be taught some things from these miracles of Elisha. How many believe that, you know, God, God did these miracles for a purpose, but those miracles of the Old Testament, as well as the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament, all were, were given to teach us some things. I mean, we're learning some things about, about the Lord and we're, we're learning some life lessons, I guess, you would say, through the ministry of Jesus as we're preaching through the gospel of Mark, aren't we? We're learning some things. And so the same way, and, and it just dawned on me, I mean, I didn't plan this out. Uh, I, don't, I don't sit down with a calendar and plan all my sermons out. But when God speaks to my heart and says, Preach a few weeks on Elisha. No, I'll do that. Preach, you know, and that the Lord spoke to me some months back, said, I want you to preach on the life and ministry of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. So that's what we've been doing on Sunday morning. But what I found out is, and what kind of dawned on me, you know, sometimes it takes a while for things to dawn on me. But uh, <laughs> what finally dawned on me was, here lately we've been dealing with a lot and talking about a lot of miracles by Bible miracles, amen. I put it on the marquee the other day and, and you know, expect miracles. Praise God. Why? Because the God we serve is still a God of miracles today, amen. He's still a God of miracles. 
He hadn't changed. He hadn't gone out of business. He hadn't, there has not been a power failure in heaven. Can I get an amen? Praise God. Amen. So in looking at some of these miracles of Elisha, and I've got two picked out that I want to deal with tonight if I have time, if we can. But one of my favorites, and I'm not taking these in any order, so this one's from the sixth chapter of 2 Kings, and it's one of my favorites, and it's the, re, it's the restoring or the recovering of the lost axe head. Anybody ever remember that story? I've preached on this in times past, but I'm going to deal with it a little bit different tonight than what I have in the, in the past. But it's the miracle where Elisha made the iron axe head to float to the top of the water and not only float, the King James said that the iron did swim. Amen. So it, you know, I, I don't know if it was doing a breaststroke or a backstroke. I don't know, but, you know, <laughs> but it said that the iron did, well, it's Wednesday night. We can just have fun, can't we? It said that the iron did swim. The New King James said that it did, it, that it floated. But so we know that in order for it to swim, it had to float. Come on, Amen. But in, in 2 Kings 6, the sons of the prophets got together and they decided, you know, it was, the, it was the, uh, uh, the sons of the prophets that were a part of the school of the prophets and they decided that they needed a little bit larger dormitory to house everybody. So they uh, went to Elisha about it. He gave them the okay to go ahead and start building a dormitory. And so they began the building program. And as they were cutting down some wood, some trees for logs, they were all together there. Everybody had an axe. And they were chopping down trees for logs. And there was one young man in this group, one of those uh, sons of the prophets, who was just, he was just going to town with that axe. He was rearing back. He was, and the chips were flying. I can just see that, you know, the chips flying. He was cutting down some, he was getting with it. And so as he was cutting down a tree, all of a sudden he threw that axe back to, to, to hit that tree and when he did the, ha the axe head had become loose on the handle. He didn't know it and it completely flew off the handle. I guess you could preach on flying off the handle there, couldn't you? <laughs> you don't want to fly off the handle. But <laughs> Praise God. But uh, anyway, the axe said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get tickled here. I've got to preach here. The axe said flew off the handle and flew into the water. And the, the river's there, and it goes over into the river. Of course, you know what an iron axe head does. When it goes into the river, it immediately sinks to the bottom. And so the young prophet cries out, and he said, Oh, alas, master, for it was borrowed. It wasn't even his, it wasn't even his axe. He had borrowed it from a friend or borrowed it from one of his neighbors. And so he cries out and says, I don't know what I'm going to do. This axe head was borrowed. So Elisha went to him and he said, well, where did it fall? And Elisha had, now, now there's just a message in all this, but I don't have time to preach it all. And so Elisha had him to point out the spot uh, where, where, where he had, uh, had lost the axe head, where it fell in the river. And the Bible said that he went and he, Elisha went and he cut off a stick 
And he took that stick and he threw the stick into the water where the axe head had fallen in. And it said that the axe head did float or the axe head did swim. And he told the young man, said, there it is. Man, can you imagine? That's why, see, that's why the king was asking Gehazi, tell me some stories about Elisha. Well, that's what we're doing here tonight. We're telling some things about Elisha and what happened in his ministry. And so he says, there it is. Pick it up. Reach out your hand. Take it and pick it up. And he puts it back on the axe handle and he goes right back to chopping wood. Well, there is, there is, um, there's some, there's some wonderful lessons for us here in this because, because when we look at the losing of this axe head, uh, it's the condition of humanity. That represents a condition of humanity because due to the fall of man, due to sin coming in in the Garden of Eden and the fall that took place there, man was separated from God just as this axe head was separated from the handle. Are you following? Following what I'm saying, it's known as the fall. It's and, and, and you know it was it was when when Adam sinned against God, Adam and Eve there in that garden, and so man was separated from God, just as this axe head came loose and separated from the handle and fell into those waters of that river, sunk to the bottom and was lost forever and without any hope of getting it back. That represents the condition of humanity. Amen. Are you listening? That represents the condition of humanity. Lost forever, separated from God. Sin always separates us from God. When we're born into this world, we're born into this world, lost sinners. We are born into this world, separated from God. I know there's people that say that God is our father, everybody's brothers and God's the father of everybody. But listen, that's not the case. I said that's not the case because the only way you can be, see everybody's not a son of God. Everybody born into this world is born a son of Adam and a part of Adam's fallen race. But in order to become a son of God, you got to go to Calvary. Hallelujah. You got to put faith in Jesus. You got to be born again by the Spirit of God to become a son and a daughter of God. So everybody born in this world is in the same condition. They're like this axe head separated from this axe handle. They're separated from God. They're in that river of sin. They're lost and undone without God. The soul of man through the fall sank and was buried beneath the murky waters of sin and trouble and sorrow and discontent and despair. And that's the condition of mankind. Just as with this axe head, man could not retrieve what was lost. Now listen to me. There was no way that this that this young prophet or anybody else there with him that day. He said, alas, I've lost that axe head. Where'd it go? It fell in the river. Nobody's going to get that axe head out of there. It's lost eternally and forever. They didn't have no, no scuba divers back then to go down there and find it, all right? They didn't have, yeah, they didn't have no metal. To, they didn't have, they couldn't get it out. So that is why I say it's such a tight 
of lost humanity because, because it, was, it was buried. It, was, it was, could not be retrieved. That which was lost was lost forever. It was buried too deep, totally covered by the depths of sea. And that's the way we all were. Are you hearing me? That's the way all of us were. Sin, listen, sin literally covers man in every capacity. Sin presses individuals down, presses man down. Sin hopelessly entombs individuals in bondage to that sin. And man is unable to come out. Man is unable to save himself. There is no way to escape that. And every individual, every person born in this world is born a sinner as, as, and is in that condition buried, buried beneath a load of sin and shame, totally, hopelessly, forever lost. I was that way. You were that way. And if you're here tonight and don't know Jesus, that's your condition tonight. The axe head was buried under tons and tons of water and there was no way that it can come out or come to the surface under its own power. Right. Now get that. Yes, sir. There's no way that axe head's coming out on its own power. That's right. That's good. No, no big electromagnet to put down there and pull that thing up. Amen. It's hopelessly lost. And man, kind, cannot save himself. They think they can. They do enough religious acts and let enough good deeds that they can maybe save themselves, but there's no way. But a notice, notice, notice though. Oh, hallelujah. See, that's not the end of the story. There's a lost axe head, but thank God something, something happens here. He tells Elisha, the man of God, and notice what he did. The Bible says in verse number 6 of 2 Kings chapter 6, that Elisha cut off a stick and he threw it in the river. He threw it in where the axe head went in. And when the stick fell in the water that the iron did float. Now there's something interesting in studying this. I found out that the verb there to cut, where it says that Elisha cut off a stick... That the, that the verb, it doesn't mean that he just went up with some pruners or a knife and, or a hatchet and just chopped a stick off and threw it in the water. But that verb literally means to neatly fashion something. So it could be translated that he neatly fashioned a stick or neatly fashioned a handle. So actually what Elisha did was cut off a piece of wood, took some time and fashioned another axe handle to, to, to just, you know, they, they got it, they neatly fashioned it. Then he threw that in the water and it brought the axe head back up. Now the stick or the handle neatly fashioned, what do you suppose that this piece of wood that's fashioned by Elisha that brings the lost axe head back to the surface. What possibly could that axe head represent? I would have to say tonight that it represents the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, come on. Amen. 
Hallelujah. It represents and typifies the cross, which that is the only remedy. The cross alone is the only remedy for man's lost condition. The cross of Christ, and I, and I love that because the cross was neatly fashioned. Just, just like it says here with Elisha taking that stick and he neatly fashioned a stick or a handle to put it in that water to, get, to bring the axe head back to the surface. Just in the same way, the cross was fashioned neatly and fashioned perfectly by the Heavenly Father for this purpose. I mean, listen, the cross was not, oh, come on, somebody. The cross of Christ was not an afterthought with God. It was not something God, when, when, when man had fallen, God was not in heaven wringing his hands and, and running his fingers through his hair saying, what are we going to do? Man has failed. What are we going to do? Everything's ruined. No, because before the foundations of the world were ever created, before the foundations of the world, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit had sat down and already had a conference and, and planned the redemption of mankind through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this plan of redemption, my friend, this plan of salvation that you and I are a part of and involved in tonight is something that was neatly and meticulously fashioned and planned by Almighty God. The cross was the foundational and is the foundational doctrine of the Word of God because Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. Man. See, I love the Bible, don't you? I've told you before, everywhere you look in the Bible, you find Jesus. He's everywhere. Praise God. The whole Bible is about, it's the story of Jesus. So, this, the cross, the plan of salvation through the finished work of the cross was neatly fashioned. And it was, it was ordained and planned by God. Hallelujah. 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 See, there's no reason for anybody to go to hell tonight. No reason for anybody, any sinner to stay buried beneath that, 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 that river of sin and buried beneath that uncleanness and ungodliness because there's been a remedy that will bring you up from there and bring you to the surface and bring you to the top. Hallelujah, it's been neatly fashioned. It's the cross of Jesus and faith in him will do that. The same type, the same type that was used here by Elisha was also used by Moses, wasn't it? Remember when the children of Israel went to, got to that place called Marah. They'd been in the wilderness three days without any water. And, and they come to this place called Marah, which Marah means what? It means bitter. And they come to this place. There they see some water. They get their hopes up. They get all excited. They go over there and try to drink it. But the water's bitter. The water's poison. And so God, what happened? Uh, they, well, they, well, they begin to complain. And they begin to blame Moses and say, it's all your fault. You brought us out here. And they begin to complain. But Moses cried to the Lord. And the Bible said that the Lord, here you go. The Lord, what happened? The Lord showed him a tree. Yes. 
Hallelujah. And when he cut down this tree and threw the tree in the bitter waters, then the bitter waters were healed and the bitter waters were made sweet and they were able to drink of the bitter waters because they weren't bitter anymore. See, that's what happens when you and I apply the finished work of Jesus to the bitter experiences of life. It makes the bitterness sweet. It makes the sorrowful happy. Come on, somebody. That's a, that makes a change in our life. Those bitter waters are made sweet when the cross is put in your difficult situation, when you bring Jesus on the scene and it's faith in Christ and what he did there, praise God, then it sweetens the bitter waters of life. Hallelujah. I don't have no 12-step program to give you to bring you out of discouragement or to bring you out of depression or to bring you healing or to bring you victory. It's only one step, and that's through Jesus. If you could have victory any other way, Jesus wouldn't have had to come to die. And from Genesis all the way through that Old Testament, God is showing them that that is the remedy, is Calvary, is the cross. Moses cuts down a tree, throws it in the bitter water. Elijah fashions an axe handle from a tree, from a piece of wood, throws it in the water. Waters are healed and made sweet. Axe head comes up from the bottom and floats to the top. Glory to God. I'm telling you, Jesus will bring you from the bottom and bring you to the top. Woo! Oh, man. We just have too much fun on Wednesday night. If everybody knew how much fun we had here on Wednesday night, they'd all come, wouldn't they? Amen. <laughs> Said that the iron did swim. The power of God, when that axe handle was thrown in there, that, that neatly fashioned piece of wood was cast into that river. The power of God reached down to the bottom of that murky water and brought that lost axe head to the surface. It was put on a new handle and put back into work for the Lord. See, only the cross alone can do that. The power of God, the power of the cross is the only thing that can lift us out of sin and bring us back and put us back into working into the ministry for the Lord, for God. Amen. It's the only thing that can do that. Amen. Love lifted me. Can I get an amen? Love lifted me. Love lifted me. Praise God. So, I wanted to get two miracles. What time is it? It's almost 8 o'clock. So, 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 here we go now. Listen. That, that axe head comes to the top of the water. It's restored. Can you imagine what these folks are thinking? What are they thinking? You know, this is an iron axe head just floating on top of the water. Glory to God. By the power of God. It's miraculous power. But then... Elisha said to the young man, he said, pick it up for yourself. Yes. Uh -huh. Oh, hallelujah. That's good. He said, pick it up for yourself. And so the, 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 the young son of the prophet reached out. The scripture said that he reached out his hand and he took it. Yes, sir. That's good. Now, it wouldn't have done him any good Ooh. for God to perform this miracle if he had just stood there and looked at it. 
He had to go up and actually reach out and get a hold of it and take it and pick it up for himself. Is anybody getting anything out of this? See, see, what Jesus did at Calvary is a finished work. It's a completed work. Amen. All that you, all that you need is in what he did. But guess what? What he did won't do you any good, won't do me any good unless we reach out our hand by faith and take it and receive what he has done for us. Everything we get from God comes to us through faith. And listen, that, you know, we make it so hard and we make it so complicated. And oh, you've got to do this and this and this. And let me give you, let me give you all these steps. And you need to, you need to send off for, for, for uh, evangelist so-and-so's uh, 12, 12 steps or 10 steps to receiving victory or answer to prayer. No, 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 no. See, it's not complicated at all, folks. It is not rocket science. Jesus. Jesus did the work. The power of God is available. So all you've got to do and I have to do is by faith just reach out. The axe head is already brought up. All you got to do is just take your faith and reach out your hand and take it and put it on the handle and go to work for the Lord. That's all there is to it. Simple faith. God made this easy. Man and religion made it hard. Oh, hallelujah. I think that'd preach, wouldn't it? Hallelujah. So that's how easy it is. It's how simple. All that, all that every sinner or every Christian has to do is just reach out your hand and take it. If you need salvation... You just reach out your hand and take it. The work's already been done. If you need forgiveness, you just reach out your hand and take it. The work's already been done. If you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the power of God with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, you just reach out your hand and take it. The Holy Ghost is a gift. Come on, somebody. If you need healing in your body by His stripes, we were healed. What do we do? We just reach out by faith and get out and reach out your hand. If you need victory or provision or joy our peace, our power. All you have to do, it's already done. It's already there. Just come over and reach out the hand of faith and lay claim to what the Lord has provided for us. Praise God. It's already provided. All Everything that pertains to life and godliness, the Bible says is ours. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's all in, in Calvary. It's all in the cross. It's all in Jesus. Whew. Let me close. I'm, I'm on point two. I only had two points. So that's a good thing. It's a good thing for me. That's unusual for me. But I just wanted to cover these two miracles. But I mean, I, you could preach. I preached a message on this axe head before on it being the loss of power. And recovering your, recovering your cutting edge. But a little bit different here. But there's another miracle found going back now to the second chapter of Second Kings, chapter two, and it's found in verses nineteen through twenty-two. And in that miracle, you know, last week we closed out with Elisha healing some poison soup. Remember that? Well, here in 2 Kings chapter 2, 
Elisha heals some poisoned water and some barren ground. But it's in 1 Kings, no, it's in 2 Kings, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, if you want to turn your Bibles there. But I won't take time to read it, but Jericho was the city in question here, and Jericho was attractively situated. The Bible says that... Uh, that the men of the city of Jericho, the elders of the city, came to Elisha, and they said to him, the situation of this city is pleasant, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. So, the, the, so the, 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 the city was a pleasant city, but they couldn't grow anything. They, they had a water problem. The, wa the ground was barren. The ground was unfruitful. Nothing would grow because the water source was poisoned. Now, Jericho, if you remember, was the city that had a curse put on it um, during, by Joshua. It had a curse put on it because of the heathen worship that was going on there in Joshua's time. Jericho was the city, the first city that they conquered when they came into the promised land. The walls of Jericho fell down by a, a miracle of God. But it was a city that had a curse on it. There was a curse pronounced on anybody that would rebuild that city. And that happened when those that rebuilt it, the, the very thing that God had prophesied through Joshua came to pass. But in the same respect, it said that the city was a pleasant city, it was a beautiful place, but there was something wrong with it, and that is that the, there, there was poisoned water. The ground was cursed. It wouldn't produce. It's, 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 it's the type of, uh, of the world today. It's the type of this world that we live in. Because this world, how many knows that this world that we live in, this earth, this planet that we're on, is cursed because of the fall. God placed a curse upon it, and uh, somebody said, well, that curse has been removed. Not yet it hadn't. If you think the curse has been removed, then you go out there and change that sign when those rose bushes are up and those thorns are sticking in the legs. Amen. The curse, see, those thorns came with the curse. The curse on the earth has not yet been removed, but oh, thank God there's coming a day. Hallelujah, that that curse is going to be lifted when Jesus comes back again. Amen. But this world is cursed because of the fall, and sin has poisoned the waters of this earth, of this planet. Sin has poisoned, just like the waters of, of Jericho were poisoned, sin has poisoned this nation. How many can say amen to that? I love America. Amen. I am a patriot. I love this nation. My dad, my dad uh, fought in World War II. He was, you know, he was involved in the Normandy invasion, the beaches of Normandy. He had five battle stars. He had some, some honors. And, 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 and I know, you know, I'm a patriot. I love this nation. I believe that this nation, in spite of the mess that it's in, still, still is the greatest nation on the face of this earth. Can I get an amen? It still is the greatest nation, even with all the trouble and with all the mess. But, you know, God has blessed America, and God desires to bless America. But we're not giving God much opportunity to bless us. We're seeming to do everything that we can do as a nation, you know, to prevent the blessing of God. And every time you turn around, our nation, our leaders, our politicians are, seem to be doing something to try to, to, to push God away 
away or to get God out of the scene. But God wants to bless America. God wants this land to be a good land. He wants this land to be a pleasant land. And he wants us to have the freedom to worship all those good things that make this nation great. But can I tell you something? That sin has poisoned the waters of the United States of America. And not only that, but sin is also poisoning a lot of the churches in our nation today. There's got to be some healing that takes place. Can I get an amen? The political, I think, and, and I'm, not, I'm not getting political, but I want to make a statement because God gave me this today. But the political waters of this nation have been poisoned. No matter how beautiful it may appear to be that, or how beautiful they may make it sound to be, the political waters of America have been poisoned. When we murder, when we murder legally over one million babies every year and when we have murdered over 55 million since 1973, I would say that there is poison in the water. Sin has poisoned the waters. Come on, amen? When we legalize and celebrate same-sex marriage and we celebrate the LGBTQ transgender agenda that's out there, I would have to say that the waters of this nation have been poisoned by sin. When there's legalized gambling and when there is drunkenness on every hand and alcohol addiction and drug addiction and licentiousness and fornication and adultery and pornography that is running rampant into the place where you can't even hardly watch a television program anymore because of the iniquity and the ungodliness and the filthy language and everything that's going on. And I'm going to tell you when Christians can sit down and watch that and feel comfortable there's poison water running somewhere I know this should be a Sunday morning sermon probably I'm preaching to the choir tonight but I'm just making a point amen with the abundance of all this, the, the iniquity and the ungodliness and the adultery and the pornography and the list is endless it goes on and on and on and on and on the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. Yes, that's right. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So sin running rampant in a nation, unbridled and uncontrolled, is a reproach to that nation. The legalization. Listen, when the Supreme Court, and I know I get in trouble for saying this, but when the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage, that was a reproach to this nation. That's not hate speech because we don't hate people that are involved in same-sex relationships. We do hate the sin. We don't hate the homosexual, but, but God hates the sin of homosexuality. God does not hate the alcoholic, but God does hate the sin of alcoholism or the sin of drunkenness. Are you with me today? Hallelujah. God doesn't hate the, the adulterer or the whoremonger, but God does hate the sin of adultery. He does hate the sin of fornication. So the waters have been poisoned in our nation. And as I said a while ago, sad to say that many, much of the waters in many churches are being poisoned. 
today. Because some, 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 some Pentecostal movements are even allowing uh, their ministers now to drink wine or drink alcoholic beverages socially. You know what they're doing? You know what's happening? They're poisoning the stream. They're poisoning the water. And no, that's not a popular preaching or a popular message, but that is exactly what is happening. Listen, sin is still sin, and God is still against sin, and God is still for righteousness, and righteousness will exalt the nation, and, and righteousness will exalt the church, and righteousness will exalt the family, and righteousness will exalt the home, but sin will bring reproach. Sin will bring reproach to any people. What we need is the healing of the waters. And so the leaders of the city came to Elisha and they tell the man of God what the problem is. City's beautiful, beautiful place. But we can't grow anything because the waters are poisoned. And the, the prophet Elisha, though, had a cure. You know, I thought as I was reading this today, studying this today, I thought, these guys, these leaders had the, had the solution to the problem because they knew who to go to with the problem that they had. They went to the man of God. And that's, you know, if our leaders could learn that. You know, that, here I go again. But that's one, that's, that's one of the things I so do appreciate about our president is because he has invited preachers and ministers to come into the White House and pray with him and lay hands on him and pray for him. Are you saying, you know, I'm not saying he's born again or not born again. God's own one knows his heart. He bears some fruit that I'm not too sure of. But, but here's the thing. As, our, as the leader of this nation, he does, a, he, he recognizes and realizes that the hope of this nation, I really believe that he's a businessman, but I really believe he realizes that the hope of this nation and to help this nation is far beyond what he has power to do. He has to look to a higher power. Amen. That's what these guys did. These leaders of Jericho realized there was poison in the land and the water system, and it was the source of the water that was poisoned. So you got to go to the source, and that's exactly what they did. They went to the man of God, the one that they knew, the one that they knew could solve this problem. My people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. So they come to Elijah. I've got, I've got to close. Y'all pulling the preach out of me tonight. The leaders come to Elisha and they tell him the problem. Water's poison, but he has the cure. He has the cure. So what did he do? He took a new cruise, it said, and he took that new cruise and he filled it full of salt. And then he took the salt and he took it to the, to the source of the poison water and dumped the salt out of the new cruise into the poison water and the waters were healed instantly. Instantly. What, what, 
what, what, what, what's the healing power in that salt? It's, see, it's what God, again, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is painting us a picture here. He's showing us how to heal the poison waters of our nation. He's showing us how to heal the poison waters of a soul, of a family, of a church, amen, of, 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 this, of this entire earth. Because that new cruise, it was, a, it, was a, it was a vessel, it was a clay pot. Hallelujah. And that new cruise was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, the incarnation. It was, he, was, he, was, he came as a man. But that salt is a type of what? In the Bible, salt is a type of the Word of God. It's the type of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And see, folks, here's the thing. The only cure, the only thing, and, and I know this is not the popular thing to say because even within, even within the church realm today, it's not the popular thing to say, but the only thing that will cure and heal the poison waters and the deadly waters of sin is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ being put into that situation. It's the only cure. It's the only cure. Well, it's too simple. Well, this was pretty simple, dumping some salt into poison water. Who would have thought, amen? Well, it's pretty simple that this gospel, if it's preached, if it's poured in, it will bring healing, amen? And the gospel is the word of God. It will heal the soul. It will heal the nation. Oh, come on. Every preacher, every Sunday school teacher, every youth leader, every parent, every grandparent, we need to be constantly throwing in the salt, pouring in the salt, putting the salt of the Word of God. It's a preservant. It's a healer. The Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ will heal the poison waters of this nation. We need it today. That's why we cannot allow anyone to get in that oval office that's going to put a damper on the preaching of the Word of God. Amen. What a simple thing this was. Simple thing that was done by the, by the man of God, by Elisha. But it healed the poison waters at their source. See, Jesus alone can heal the brokenhearted. Jesus alone can set the captive free. And here's the thing that I like, and it's this. That when Jesus heals, when Jesus delivers, it's a total deliverance and it's a permanent deliverance. As long as you keep your faith where it needs to be. It's a total. Notice what it says. And I'm closing. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm quitting. Verse 21, 2 Kings 2. It said the water was healed at the source, first of all. So you got to go to the source of the problem. Where's the source? The source is the problems in the heart. The heart of man is desperately wicked. So the gospel's got to be preached and received in the heart. So the water was healed at the source. When the inside of that man's healed, that woman's healed and saved and changed, the outside will straighten up. We try to straighten up the outside when there's no, not been a change on the inside. But it also says this. The water was healed at the source, and it says, and there shall be no more death or barrenness. It's over with. That's the complete healing of the gospel. 
And verse 22 says this, And the water remains healed to this day. <laughs> oh, praise God. Amen. Do, do you remember the day you went to that altar or wherever you made an altar, wherever you came to the Lord? I remember the morning Dave Feaser got saved right over at the other church down there. I remember that morning well. But you know what? The water still healed to this day. What, 16 years later? Almost 16 years later. The water still healed to this day. See, God does a complete work. When we come His way through the gospel, through the cross, through the blood, and keep our faith there, it's a complete work. It's a total work. It's a finished work. It's a lasting work. Can I get an amen? Let's stand tonight.